Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this podcast is being recorded in Rome. The topic is the fracture which is taking place in French society and which is shaping the political landscape and linking the politics of the Middle East with European politics. And to help us make sense of that, we're going to be joined by Gilles Kepel, who is one of the most distinguished intellectuals on Islamism and jihadism in the world. He is the leader of a seminar at the École Normale Soup on uh, extremism, do you think, in English? Is that the best? Mm-hmm. Uh, violence and dogma. I don't know violence and, and dogma. Say it. But he's also uh, the author of many uh, best-selling books, uh, including most recently a book called La Fracture, which describes this new uh, political um, fracture which is running through French society. Gilles, um, thank you so much for, 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 for joining me. Do you want to lay out um, the ideas in your, in your book? Well, uh, we, we are... Uh in, in France, we're, we're now preparing the presidential election of uh, 2017. Uh, François Hollande has just said that he's stepping down and uh, because of, uh, of the many failures of, of, his, uh, uh, of his mandates. And uh, we are having a new right-wing candidate, uh, François Fillon, who scored a very um, impressive uh, uh, vote and turnout of voters also um, more than four and a half million uh, people uh, decided to vote in the in the right wing primary which was also a, a primary if I may say so because it uh, they never had it before in in a right wing culture which was still very uh, authoritarian uh, and um, and surprisingly uh, one of the reasons why Mr Fillon uh, who no one expected would win actually won was that he was able to to deal with this uh, uh, feeling of anxiety that uh, um, that is that runs so deep into French society after we had 239 people who died uh, between in between January 7 2015 the Charlie Hebdo attack followed by the attack on the Jewish supermarket, the hyper-kosher. And uh, July 26, uh, 2016, when a Catholic priest, uh, an 86-year-old Catholic priest, was tapped to death during uh, Mass in in Normandy. And uh, this has left very, very deep scars in, in the French public, even though journalists, pollsters, and so on and so forth, who are interested in finding out the state of the opinion uh, on, a, on a daily basis missed it because it is uh, you know it's something which is which is very deep uh, which challenges French identity which challenges what people think they have in common and uh, Fillon uh, who had a, a political program which wanted to to stress uh, identity politics and um, also uh, to, uh, uh, to to liberalize in a sort of uh, with a program which uh, echoes to some extent 
uh, what we think in France was Mrs. Thatcher's program, which may not be Mrs. Thatcher's program, uh, in a way stroke a chord uh, in, in the French public. And um, so this, this issue of, of, of Islam uh, has become one of the, of the key um, topics for, for the new election, whether uh, it is uh, made public as such, uh, or uh, it's something which, uh, uh, which runs uh, in a more discreet way, but uh, which is nevertheless uh, very present at, at the core of the, of the, of the worries of, of the French electorate. So the fracture, is the, the, the possibility that, that, that France is, and Europe in, in general, but France in particular, because for, for the first time we're at the vanguard of something, unfortunately, we're, people say... <laughs> it's we not don't the first time, I mean, it's, a, it's one of France's traditional uh, self-imposed roles, is it not? 1789, 1968... 2016. Yeah, but this was. Yeah, but this was at the time. It was. It was. Uh, we we tended. We wanted to look at it in a positive way. This is a rather negative issue, and uh, we're. It's being said that we export nothing. Well, we were the first net exporters of jihadists in Europe. So, which is a matter of glory, of course. And um, and we have the biggest number of victims. And this is this is a very very big issue. So these 239 uh, dead are kind of hanging over yes. the, the election mm-hmm. and French politics. Yeah, they, they haunted, if yeah. you want. And uh, the, the ghosts of the, of the victims of jihad, because uh, they, they, they drove a wedge, if you wish, uh, into uh, what we believe is the, the, the founding myth of French identity, i.e. So that you, know, you, you didn't need to, to be born French. It's not being French. It's not an issue of blood, as it was traditionally in Germany, of Blut, it's, it's an issue of, of uh, going to the grammar school, it's the lycée, which makes you French, just like the palestra made you Greek in, uh, in Athens in the 5th century BC. And this is something that runs very deep, that has to do with the French Enlightenment, Les Lumières, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and suddenly, you have uh, within a population that comes out from the, what is called now the post-colonial immigration, i.e. Uh, people who, whose parents had been under French yoke in, in the French Empire, uh, uh, who came to France, who were educated, born in France, most of them, who have French citizenship, who went to school in France, and then who should have shared the values. A minority of them has decided that they had nothing to do with France except a passport which allows them to, to go to, uh, to get a visa across the a border to go to jihad in Syria, and uh, and they want to destroy uh, French society in in the name of Sharia, in the name of a, of, uh, of of jihadism and Salafism, and this in a way uh, has um, created uh, uh, a suspicion, the soupçon, as we say in French. Uh, that is to say that uh, for a number of uh, identity politicians, uh, most of them on the far right, but also some on the left, um, then you know there is this feeling that uh, if not all Muslims, at least a significant amount of them, consider that uh, you know they are not, they don't, they don't play by by the, by the rules. They, they say they are French because they want to use all the benefits, the social benefits, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, 
um, but they, they don't they don't think French they they just hate the country and they want to destroy it and uh, so you have on this uh, on, on the one hand on the far right side of the electorate and this of course is reflected in the very very high um, uh, voting uh, um, options uh, for uh, Madame Le Pen, uh, and um, on the other hand, uh, you have the sort of what we call in French communautarism, communalism, if we may use a, a concept taken out from the British Raj in, <laughs> in India, um, so the Empire Strikes Back here again, uh, communalists who consider that being um, uh, Islamic is, is, the, is the most important issue, that Muslims are um, endangered because they are, they are being victimized by an overarching Islamophobia, state Islamophobia, as they say. And we have a sort of strange alliance between uh, Muslim brothers uh, and their uh, science in France, uh, um, paramount among them being, of course, Tarek Ramadan, who's... Uh, who was Hassan al-Banna's uh, grandson, uh, the Muslim Brothers founder, and uh, also now a, a new character uh, by the name of Marwan Muhammad, um, the son of an Egyptian uh, father and an Algerian mother, born in, and educated in France, a former trader in a bank, who's, um, who's now the head of the what is called the Collectif contre l'Islamophobie en France, the, the, the Committee Against Islamophobia in France, which points French society as globally Islamophobe and who engineered the whole campaign um, against uh, against the French state uh, in the summer with the so-called the infamous so-called Burkini affair which turned overnight France from a victim of jihadism into an executioner if you want into um, and uh, so and the fracture in a way uh, catches us between between the hammer and the anvil, the, the hammer of identity or identitarian politics on the extreme right and uh, of uh, communalist uh, Islamic politics on the other side. So how, and this is I believe one of the big challenges of the, of the coming election, it's even if it's not always explicit, the subtext is there, you know. And uh, this is why I wanted to sort of in my way with uh, 35 years of, uh, of um, of, of scholarship in this in this field, I wanted to to, to, to bring to the public the the material uh, so that it could uh, vote in, in full uh, knowledge of what it's, is happening. So, <clears throat> if we try and unpack those two uh, extremes, on, on the one hand, there's this kind of change in the way that um, uh, Islamism operates in, in France and you're one of the earliest scholars of Islam in the banlieue you've written about that for decades now in, in different ways can you maybe explain how that's changing and, and what is is driving it how much of what's happening is about the sort of traditional social exclusion of uh, and the sort of lack of opportunities how much of that is being fed by social media, by kind of international movements, how much of it is indigenous. Because you also recently had a, a big debate with another uh, 
famous scholar of, uh, of Islamism in France, Olivier Roy. Um, it'd be very interesting maybe for people who haven't followed that as closely to sort of explain both how you see it, but also what the, what the kind of debate in France is after these horrendous attacks which have uh, been dominating the, the news and also people's psyches for the last couple of years. Sure. Uh, well, uh, Olivier Roy, or Oli Roy, as you know, <laughs> on the other side of the, on the wrong side of the channel, um, uh, is known considers that um, um, the, this it, this has to do with what he calls the um, Islamization of radicality or radicalism. That is to say, that he considers that you know uh, uh, Germany had the the Haute Armée fraction. Uh, Italy had the Brigate Rossi, France had Action Directe, so it was uh, an, um, a sort of generation issue of uh, people who at the time used the language of communism because it was fashionable. And uh, now the language of, of revolt against society is green. So we had the Green Brigades or the Green Army Fraction or the whatever, uh, because it's Islamic, because it's the, the predominance. Uh, language uh, to fight against oppression, quote-unquote, in the world, and, uh, and tomorrow it may be brown. So it's, you know, it's not an issue, the, the, what, is, what is at stake there is, is the comparative dimension. And uh, therefore, he, I, I think he, he, he shuns uh, the cultural uh, dimension of it and the religious dimension. So I am not at all against comparison, and I believe that it's very important to see the commonalities and uh, also to to deal with uh, with the, the social and the, and the psychological dimension, because the uh, you know over the last five years I've I've done an enormous amount of field work in the banlieue, values as they say in America. So this is the only word in French which uh, you do not need to translate. You, in the good old days, it was parfum, champagne. You know, it's banlieue, and uh, and the um, uh, um, and so you know. You're in a country which, as opposed to most of Europe, which is going better socially, uh, France, and this is one of the big challenges also of the, of the forthcoming election, is a country where in, in the marginalized value um, you have something, an average of 40% of young people who are uh, on the dole. And therefore, uh, you know, there is this huge resentment against uh, society because and, and the school system. Because when the know-how and uh, which the school is supposed to give you, so that you have a job, and so that you you build yourself in a different way, so that you can become who you are if you want, when th this this is a, a dead end street, then you throw away the values which are correlated with this knowledge, just like like you throw away the baby with the the, the bath, bath water, water, right? And this has created this, this feeling of, um, of, of exclusion, of, of not belonging of, to, to French society. Um, uh, add to that uh, xenophobia or uh, whatever, racism. And, uh, and also add to that uh, the fact that in, uh, in our postmodern or post-industrial society where there are no blue-collar jobs anymore anyway, you have menial jobs but you do not have unionized jobs. And um, then there is also something which uh, has to do with uh, the, the, the breakdown of the family systems. And uh, in, in the interviews my students and myself have conducted with a number of families of, of young French people, by 
French by, by their papers at least, who went to, to jihad in Syria, we were at pains to find uh, a father because father had, fathers had disappeared. Uh, some went back to North Africa to have a, a younger wife and left the, the older wife with the kids. Um, others, who, the fathers of converts, um, just uh, led, the, uh, as we say in French, the, the, the sexual hobo life, the vagabondage sexuel, <laughs> I don't know how to say that in English. And, uh, it's just, too exotic for Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, well, yes, this kind this, of lifestyle. Yeah, well, this does not, does not exist in, in, in Britain, as we know. And, um, well, at least it's a scandal. It's not, it's not uh, long since, but we're French, after all. And, um, and the... Um, uh, uh, and so there again, you have a number of of, of, of women who were left alone with their with their kids, went to the banlieues because uh, you know they could only find a, a rent in the projects, and then the kids were socialized with young Muslim kids. And as opposed to what I saw thirty years ago, you mentioned my earlier books. The, the first book I wrote about that was published in nineteen eighty seven, which you know a lot of of water has flown under the bridges of the Seine since then. Uh, Les banlieues de l'Islam, no need to translate this title again. And um, at the time, Salafism was close to non-existent. I mean, Salafism spread in Europe uh, after uh, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait in 1990. And, uh, and there was such a pro-Saddam movement among European Muslims that, you know, the Saudis decided to send preachers with uh, their pockets full of cash and uh, and then um, build support for the Saudis and for Salafism in, in European yeah. Islam. So this all together, you know, created a sort of compact, out of which you 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 started to see, and this I've seen the change over the last thirty years. This sort of enclave mentality, and this enclave mentality, uh, in a way, became real with the big riots of two thousand five. Yeah. Uh, and 2005 was a watershed year. This was the, the year when you had in Britain the, uh, we uh, had the, the attacks yeah. in July. And we, didn't, we had the riots, which were not jihadic or jihadist per se, as opposed to what you know, the Likud and the neocon press said. But it, was, it had to do with Islam to an extent, because the, the, the big start of the attack was the fact that the mosque was gassed accidentally with tear gases um, and um, during Ramadan, and this was what you know um, that was the, the sparkle that that lit the whole plane, and uh, you know riots all over France, which in a way created this feeling that there, there were there were territories that you know uh, had become semi-autonomous, and on that, the Salafist movement has built. Now. Uh, the same, the same 2005 was the year when uh, something very important happened on the social media, i.e. Uh, in January, a Syrian guy named Abu Musab al-Suri, who had studied engineering in France, married a Spaniard, and then was based in Londonistan, as we used to call <laughs> London at the time, where he, uh, if I may say so, kosherized the Algerian GIA, said it was halal uh, by, by uh, Al-Qaeda standards, uh, he posted uh, in 2005, while Al-Qaeda was being repelled from Afghanistan by Operation Anaconda, if I remember well, he, he posted 1600 page, a 1600 page, a 1600-page pamphlet called The Call to Glo for Global Islamic Resistance, 
and said that the target of jihad should not be America, which was too far away and too mighty, should not be solely the Muslim countries, because when Arabs kill Arabs, no one gives a damn, but it should be Europe. Europe is was the soft underbelly of the West, and the soldiers of this jihad were to be young Muslims from immigrant background or converts who did not feel well integrated into a European society. And the guy had lived uh, a decade in Europe, so he knew what he was talking about. And he knew what he was talking about. And this was this sort of network-based, bottom-up jihad, as opposed to the previous top-down uh, pyramidal uh, Ben Laden jihad. And no one took it seriously. And I remember one day I was in the Foreign Office in London, and you know, in, in Britain, uh, you don't meet only diplomats in the foreign office. And one of the guys with a beard necessarily told me, you know, this Suri thing is great because it does not work. You know, those network-based um, terrorist networks will, will, will kill each other and it will not work because at the time people were obsessed with uh, Al-Qaeda. But it worked. What they missed was the cultural revolution of, of jihadism, of what I call third-generation jihadism, because the, the month after, <clears throat> on the 14th of February, 2005, Valentine's Day, uh, something very important happened in California. YouTube got its license, and this changed the whole world. And then you had the social networks for YouTube, then uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and now Telegram, who played a tremendous and pivotal role for those groups to expand on a network-based and a bottom-up uh, scheme. And uh, this, was, was, this was a very, very potent uh, uh, vehicle, if you wish, to, to carry this new form of jihadism. And so over the last decade, you had this mix of social exclusion, psychological change, and, uh, and social networks. Add to that the fact that you ha we had the Arab upheavals, which created rogue states, or whatever you call them, or faith states, in the immediate environment of the European Union, Libya, Syria, parts of Tunisia, Mali, Sinai, Yemen, and, and uh, you know, you could go to jihad in, uh, in a camper, uh, take the ferry and put your camper on uh, to go to jihad, which had nothing to do with sending Saudis in planes at, uh, onto the Twin Towers, you know, it's a, yeah. it was a totally different system, and this has led to the present situation. So, um, but how do you explain the sort of shift from from Al Qaeda to Daesh, for example? Was, I mean, well, because because Al Qaeda failed, because you know, nine eleven was so impressive, the magnitude was such. But Al Qaeda was a movement that traced back to um, you know to to uh, the eight o'clock news uh, on television. They had to capture. The imagination of the of the TV viewers, um, and uh, therefore they needed to invest in an event of uh, incredible magnitude that used the language of Hollywood. Uh, but uh, this, you know, uh, did not translate into mobilization of the masses, uh, because the Saudis uh, that flew into the towers or into the Pentagon had no relation whatsoever with with the American public, and. Um, they were in the air, if I say so, but they had no grassroots. And, um, and, uh, and they hoped that that would lead the, the West to retaliate and that then Iraq would be uh, the Vietnam, the second Vietnam of America, Britain and the like. 
but this did not work out because uh, you know the, the jihadists were ousted from Iraq not so much by the Western forces, by the but Shia, by Iran, which was the neocons nemesis, but uh, with, with, them, with whom they actually passed an alliance, strangely enough. And um, so Suri wanted to, to find a way out of, of, this, uh, of this impasse, right, of this coup de sac, as I think you say in English. And um, in a way, if you look at jihadism in retrospect, it's, it's a sort of Hegelian process, you know. The first phase, the phase of affirmation, is jihad in Afghanistan, from Afghanistan to Algeria, local jihad, nearby jihad, as they say, al uh, uh, al-Qarib, the nearby enemy in Arabic. And uh, it failed. It, 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 it worked in Afghanistan with the ousting of the Red Army, which led in its term to the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. But then it didn't work out in Algeria, in Egypt, or in Bosnia. So they decided to then this was phase two, the phase of negation, if we follow the Hegelian scheme, uh, that targeted um, New York and Washington, uh, which failed, as we just said. And then you have the, the third phase of the Aufhebung, the uh, dépassement, the uh, negation of the negation, um, which is now, which is what we are living now, we've been living since 2005. And you know, in each each uh, stage, uh, there's a huge amount of lessons learned yeah. from the failures uh, of, of the previous phase. And uh, and this this present phase is uh, was uh, boosted by the fact that it, it went under the uh, intelligence community radars, right? But the downside of it, from their point of view, is that people who implement those operations in Europe are not very sophisticated. And this is uh, this is their, their their weak point, I believe. And to what extent does the fact that there is a sort of territorial project? I mean, how does that play into it with the, with well, actually the idea of creating an Islamic state? Well, this was very important because it materialized the utopia, if you want. You know, when people want to to die for uh, for jihad, and uh, you know, we, you have to think that in. The, the first and the most, the quintessential, the paradigmatic recruiting ground was the, the prison system, where you have jihadists who, um, in French prisons, the majority of the inmates are Muslims, not because Islam uh, leads to crime, but because uh, most of them are poor and they are part of the population that goes to jail. And um, so the, uh, the consequence uh, is that, you know, you, you have those guys who are jailed, they, they deal with petty delinquents, and uh, they, they tell them, you know, you're not here because you did anything wrong, really, but because European societies are Islamophobic, and, you know, the only way for you to be redeemed is to engage in jihad and seek for martyrdom and everything. And then the, the Islamic states, when, you know, when you, when you read what they write about it, it's a sort of... Uh, it's the, the, how do you say, did you say that for the, the USSR, the radiant future, is that what, shining mm -hmm. future? Is, is the radiant future, l'avenir radieux of, um, of the Islamists. And this is why I believe the fact that um, Mosul and Raqqa uh, may fall in, uh, in the weeks to come, the, probably Aleppo also will disappear or on, because of, of Soviet and, and their allies. Uh, Bombings and pressure. Russian. I think. Russian. Well, well, well it is Soviet. Actually, it's post-Soviet, <laughs> but it's. Uh, it is, you know, it's exactly the same as what happened in Algeria. When you make a comparison, you know the modus operandi of the Bashar al-Assad regime and of the Algerian generals 
with the same Russian or Soviet or post-Soviet advisors exactly the same, breaking the ranks of the insurgents and creating and helping an ultra-Islamist radicalized group to emerge so that to, to scare uh, uh, the opponents and finally to make people feel that even if they don't like the regime, nevertheless, it's better, than it's better yeah, of, of two evils, let's uh, choose the, the lesser. And um, so this is, uh, this is, I believe, uh, what we are now facing, i.e. Uh, the, the consequences of the, of the breakdown of the, of the caliphate utopia. People are going to try to come back. What are we going to do? We still have 700 French people there with a number of kids who were born there. And, um, and as they are French, you have to take them. Yeah. So um, can I maybe uh, also bring you back to the other side of the, of the equation? So we've, now, we've looked at the Islamist side of the equation. When it comes to the sort of French identitarian politics that's emerging, one of the texts which I came across, which um, is very illuminating about the sort of concept of, of threat and majorities, which seems to be appearing in many different places, is, is this book by Renaud Camus, Le Grand Remplacement, which sort of argues that through um, uh, differential birth rates and mass immigration, there's a gradual change in the nature of the French population, which is going to undermine and de-spiritualize France and destroy its kind of basic values. To what extent is that a kind of template for understanding um, the uh, counter mobilization to, to the Islamist one that you've just described? Well, a decade ago, those ideas were dismissed as, you know, pure uh, neo-fascist uh, fantasy. Uh, now they're being increasingly shared by the public, uh, particularly because uh, uh, they, uh, people um, uh, have discovered that, in, not only in French, but in European societies now, you have this enclave system. And, um, and there, is, there is this fear that uh, uh, that uh, you're talking about uh, populations that have immigrated recently. We still have a third world birth rate and uh, families uh, of 10 kids. Uh, have this number, those numbers have decreased among people from North Africa, but it's still, uh, it's still the case uh, with immigrants from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, for instance, and uh, together with polygamy. And therefore, this has, uh, has created a, a feeling of, of terrible fear, uh, and uh, which feeds uh, directly into, into the extreme right. Add to that the, the refugee crisis, uh, which uh, has created a major problem in Germany. You know, now Mrs. Merkel is being challenged by the Alternative für Deutschland on those, on those bases, and, uh, the last uh, by-elections were, were lost by, by her party in favor of, the, of those identitarian extreme right politics. And, um, and the same is, is true in, uh, in France, even though we have very few refugees. Nevertheless, people saw on TV uh, images of uh, uh, immigrants coming by foot uh, with all the, the women veiled who uh, cross over the barbed wires in Hungary on a place they never heard about, and they sort of they feel th threatened immediately. 
And then uh, Madame Le Pen has nothing, just uh, nothing to say. She just points her finger at that. And uh, now the big issue is to what extent um, will someone like François Fillon, who's now the, uh, the, the candidate of the right, uh, be able to, to diffuse, if you wish, this, this appeal of the extreme right? Because uh, uh, I, I'm, uh, I believe that his... Uh, his program was was able to 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 some extent to take into account the anxieties of this part of the electorate, which is not only uh, in the right, right, and uh, and the fact that uh, six hundred thousand French voters who identified themselves with the left voted in the right primary is interesting because. They usually voted for vote for Juppé because they wanted to oust Sarkozy, uh, but nevertheless they did something strange. You know, when in uh, in European societies where we were used to have a right wing binary opposition, they crossed the border, you know, and they signed a, a chart saying that they share the values of the right wing in the center. So that means, among other things that the divide between the left and the right is becoming increasingly meaningless. And uh, our political system was based on that, you know. So, uh, and this sort of identity politics, this new type of fracture crosses over the traditional European political uh, frontiers. But at the same time, Fillon's not a natural defender of French secularism. I mean, he's quite, uh, he said that he's closer to the Pope than he is to the people who wanted to have um, gay marriage. He uh, stands for a kind of quite religious, conservative segment of, of French society. That's part of his appeal, is, is in fact the fact that he's not secular. Well, no, I think he is secular. Uh, the, uh, and, uh, but, you know, in his, you, you know, there is, I don't know if we should have the Trump paradigm, where you know he said, "Oh, this is something I said during the campaign. It, it, it's <laughs> worthless, right? Uh, after you're elected, there's a, there's a new language." Uh, the um, uh, I, 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 of course he was prime minister of Sarkozy over during for five years and suffered very harshly under Sarkozy, who didn't treat him well, and he had his big revenge when Sarkozy was ousted from the primaries. But the uh, at the time he did not at all show any signs of uh, a twist toward uh, identity politics, you know. So I believe he's, uh, he's, he has understood the anxieties of the, of the electorate, and this is why he was elected in the, the right-wing primaries. But I, I don't believe he's, um, he's a staunch uh, believer and he's a popist uh, in the country of uh, the separation of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, church and, and state. And, uh, um, but so what was that? But that was a sort of signal that he's not going to be bound by the political correctness. Yes, of, uh, this is this is absolutely clear. And to some extent, you know, uh, when uh, people think about America and and describe the Democrat Party as the sum total of the minorities, as opposed to Trump, who was the the the, the sort of uh, this, the tribune of the threatened white majority. Yeah, the threatened majority. To some extent, there's something like that, definitely. Uh, but the uh, uh, you have to remember that not only was is this trauma of the 239 dead uh, haunting us uh, altogether, but the last one who was killed was this 86-year-old uh, uh, priest 
And you know, the French who are laic, who are secularists, I mean, laic is one of those words which cannot be translated into any language because it's so much... A bit like sexual... What was it with your thing before the... the Vagabondin sexuel. Yeah. We are laic and vagabond sexuel. And uh, don't try to understand. Just call us frogs and that's okay. We are pleased with it. And and, uh, so this was this... um, uh, Suddenly, you know, the French rediscovered that they were Catholics. You know, even someone like me, who's a staunch atheist, if you, if you read the La Fracture, um, uh, uh, went so far as to quote the, the homily, did you say that, of the, of the Archbishop of Rouen uh, at the service uh, for the funeral of, uh, of, of Father uh, Jacques Hamel. And uh, uh, because I think, you know, it stroke a chord. Uh, I think in, 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 in most of the, of the, of the public, because this uh, old man uh, was stabbed by two 19-year-old kids who were French. One was even called Petit Jean because he was adopted by uh, a man who's called Petit Jean. And uh, Petit Jean goes back to uh, Robin Hood, translated into French, and also to Jean Valjean, Victor Hugo, you know. Um, and Petit Jean, who had become Abdel Malik Petit Jean, stabbed with a Kabyle, uh, with uh, a 19-year-old Kabyle, Adel Karmish, and the Kabyle, if you wish, within Algerian immigration, were always considered the one who were the most imbued with French values. And suddenly, there is this suspicion. And, and those two kids, in the name of Jihad, in the name of Sharia, in the name of Allah, if you want, whatever you want, stabbed this old man uh, who lived in their neighborhood. Hmm. They had to walk 10 minutes uh, because they were instructed to do so by a guy, uh, another Algerian from Rouen, who was uh, based in Mosul uh, over um, in, uh, through the um, uh, telegram messenger service. And this, you know, bring this all together and you have, you have a, a, a lot of the, uh, of the reasons in the, uh, for, for the, for the Fillon vote. And on the other side now that Hollande is not standing, which is where we started with, presumably there'll be a lot of temptation to, to get somebody who can also speak a language of security and identity, like Manuel Valls, the Prime Minister, who's been very tough on these issues. It's true, but you know, uh, if you consider that uh, for most French, the, uh, the, the mandate, of the quinquennat, the five-year mandate that, that and just ended was not great. And you know, uh, Hollande has a 4% popularity rate. It may surge after he just <laughs> said, I'm stepping down, but it will be for useless. But, um, uh, and this is an all-time low in, in, uh, since the Versailles-Gétorix, I think. Who went so low. Um, so uh, even though Valls was, was uh, very harsh on those issues, um, I, I believe that politically, he's nevertheless he's uh, he's an inheritor, if I may say so, of the of the Hollande uh, not so good legacy, and it will be hard to compete uh, on on those grounds with with the right wing, with uh, with Fillon definitely, and also uh, from what we can uh, anticipate, the the left. The political offer on the left will be split 
between at least three voices on the most uh, extreme left, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, uh, who's uh, uh, a sort of uh, nationalist and communist, if you want, and um, uh, who will uh, cater uh, to the uh, to the most leftist populism to an extent, uh, which will be not insignificant. Um, on in the center of the left wing offer. Whoever comes out of the left-wing primaries, if we have such a thing of left-wing primaries, because this is not sure, and and then on the centre-left, Emmanuel Macron. So, so your prediction is that Fillon is going to win. As of today, I uh, could not see any other option. But you know, things may change tomorrow, which is the great thing with with politics that you never know until until uh, you're out of the of the booths. You know, no one predicted Trump's victory, or very few people. And until the evening of the of the right wing's prim primaries, no one ever thought that Fillon would win. So you know this this all uh, uh, this is something for the pollsters and the journalists. Well, thank you very much, Gilles. I'm sure we will come back again to you uh, to talk about these topics as we come towards the the elections in in May, but also think about the longer term future of how France and Europe will deal with these deep questions of identity, of religion, of our relationship with our near neighbours in the Middle East and North Africa in this interconnected world of Facebook um, and, and, and Telegram, don't and forget Telegram, Telegram. which you described. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please uh, Give us a rating or a review on iTunes, on SoundCloud or Mixcloud or whatever platform uh, you're using to, to listen to this. Tweet about it, write about it on your Facebook page or on ECFR's Facebook page. And uh, do get in touch if you have any comments. My email address is mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. You will find links to some of Gilles Gebel's fascinating writings on the podcast page, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. But for now, from Gilles Gebel and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The editor of ECFR's podcast is Katarina Botel-Atinaro, and our researcher is Ulrike Franken.